Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And if you're just jumping in, maybe today is the first message that you have heard in 1 Corinthians. Uh, if it is, and you feel like, man, I feel like I'm missing something to this, it's because you are. Uh, we've been preaching through this book, so a lot of groundwork has been laid. Uh, the beginning of the book, there were two messages and a third that really defined uh, Paul's mission statement here. Uh, and really, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Verse 18, uh, it is... It is the gospel in a nutshell and how we should perceive a world that is lost and either being ruined, actively destroyed, or uh, someone who is actively being delivered and pulled from the, the chains of darkness. And so Paul really differentiates, and he says in verse 17 of chapter 1, uh, look, the power of God will be emptied. The cross will be emptied of its effect if you do it in your own power and your own wisdom. This isn't about your power. This isn't about your wisdom. This isn't about eloquent words. It's not about the way you're framing it or saying it. It's about the cross. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's about the power of God through the gospel and what he's doing. So he's really, we've laid that groundwork. And if you haven't, I encourage you, go back and listen to some of those other messages. Uh, also, by way of review, Corinth is the Las Vegas of the ancient world. So we're, we're talking about a city, a church is built, Paul spent about a year and a half there with Aquila and Priscilla working in the city, tent making, uh, and this is a port city, it's got a lot going on, and, and really what we, can, what we can perceive is that it's literally like a Vegas uh, style city, there's a lot going on. Uh, so I, I think as Baltimoreans, I think we can track with this city a little bit, I think we can see and sense some of the things that Paul is talking about. Look, we, we are a mixed bag here at Bethlehem. We've got all different backgrounds and upbringings, and that's how I like it. That's how it should be. And uh, so uh, that being said, we really are going to, today specifically, we're going to dive into some of those things that were going on that probably shouldn't have been going on. Uh, well, I know they shouldn't have. Uh, but the way Paul addresses it, uh, it really took me by surprise, to be honest. I thought, man, when I dig into this book, it's going to be, you know, a lot of things on the front end that set the stage, and then he's going to go at this horrible behavior. I was wrong. Uh, really, upon further review, upon more study, the way Paul comes at this, I think it's so typical of even 2021, of churches that we see today of problems that we see in the church, even today, I think that we're still struggling with it. And I think that if you receive this message well, it's not an easy message, but if you receive this message well, you, you will feel confident that, that what you can do and what you can build within our church community will last, will be something that is worth hanging your spiritual hat on and that the Lord is gonna use for people to come. And upon that, I'm gonna pause for a brief intermission. I'm dry. That's a, I'm trying to take it easy here with that first sermon, but I gotta talk to the guy, man. He's just, he's writing his sermons too long, and uh, yeah, I was carrying on a little bit in the first hour. 
Yeah, um, give me a minute. Maybe another cup of coffee. Can someone, yeah, we'll, we'll get the caffeine flowing again. Mm. Anyway, without further ado, let's jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 14. We'll start there, 1 Corinthians 4, 14. And we'll dive in. So this is, this is the nitty gritty. This portion of scripture where we're coming from is he's going to bring up the problems, some of these things that they're dealing with in this church. And we're going to talk about them collectively. We're going, to, we're going to bookend really this message with the problems because that's what Paul does. And he addresses it in such a unique way that he kind of puts this together. And what we're dealing with is a, a sexually immoral man. He's doing some things that he should not do, and we're going to see that in a minute. It's pretty, pretty crazy. And then also... If there's, I think we're good. I don't see any children in here. I think we're okay. If there is, this might, it might get a little too much for them. It's online, if you're watching and your kids are watching, this might be one you want to come back to a little bit later. There will be, there will be certain things uh, that we'll talk about this morning that are um, explicit, I would say. Uh, but we're going to, this, this sin that he's dealing with is not only uh, a sexually immoral man, but also, at the end of it, it's, people in the church that are suing each other. And so uh, he ties these together in a unique way, and I, I don't think it's obvious, maybe in the beginning, that those things are tied together, but I think when you see what I saw, uh, how he brings this together, you'll lump them together too, and it's going to paint a really uh, an accurate picture of how the church should handle issues and moral issues and how we should act and react towards the things of this world. Let me ask you this. How many struggle with your mentality and your philosophy towards non-believers and their lifestyles? Anybody? Anybody struggle with like what we see going on in the world? I mean, I just can't believe I saw that on the news. I can't believe this was the headline. And sometimes we're more, we're hyper-focused on what's happening outside and we cosign what's going on on the inside. Sometimes. But then, in other cases, uh, you know, we, sh we, should be, um, we should be strategic in our outreach. If you're not careful, the, the aspect that you have towards non-believers can either be a turnoff or uh, it's, not a proper, it's not a proper way for you to open the gate for them to come in and, and find new life in Christ. So I think how we approach this is, is very important. And Paul's going to deal with all these issues. But one thing that I think is interesting is that when I think about and have thought about this book of 1 Corinthians in the past, it's been, man, that's just a bunch of folks sleeping around and running around with each other, and, and it's just not good. You know, that book of Corinth, it's the Las Vegas of the ancient world, and it's, you know, those people were doing horrible things in that church. That's not... That's not the way Paul comes at it. It is, but it isn't. You're going to see both. All right, so let's jump in here. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 4, and let's start at verse 14, and I'm going to read from there to 21, and then we'll, we'll kind of jump around a little bit. The passage is 414 through chapter 6, verse 11, is the chunk of scripture that, that we're dealing with today, and I encourage you to continue and take this into your walk with God in your quiet time this week, because uh, there's a lot here. Verse 14, it says, I'm not writing this to shame you. So this is how Paul 
all the things that we've had, look, you know, the, le- the sermons, if you will, up to this point in the letter are, look, the point is, is for you to be an effective gospel witness, for you to have power in your delivering and being, de- oh, thank you, your power in your being delivered from, uh, from the cords of sin and from hell and, and being uh, placed, remember we did two separate tracks up here last week, you're either being ruined or you're being delivered. And so up, up to this point, Paul's interest is that this would be a church that has power. This would be a church that, that is a, uh, a witness and a light in this metropolitan area. And he comes to them, he says, look, I'm not coming at this, these things that are happening, I'm not coming at it to shame you. I, I'm not trying to embarrass you with what I'm about to say, but it is pretty rough. Verse 15, For you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. Mm. You get that tone? Shifting that tone a little bit? You got a lot of people that know how to parse that scripture out and tell you what it means, but you don't have people that are fathering you. Hmm. Watch this. For I became your father in Christ Jesus. Through what? The gospel. Not through incredible words, but through the power, right? He's, he's so good the way he's saying this here. I became your father in Jesus Christ through the gospel, not through your life experience, not through what you think should be happening, through the gospel I became. There, see, there's a difference in your life when the Lord appoints you to something and when you assume something. There's a big difference. Verse 16, therefore I urge you to imitate me. We got a bunch of people nowadays that want to be imitated. They want a following, but they were never appointed. They're not leading anyone in the gospel. They're just trying trying to gain a following. But Paul says, I became that through the gospel, and now I'm urging you to listen to what I'm saying. This is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. This language that he's using is this father-son. Why does he use that language? Because God uses that language. Jesus had a heavenly what? Father. And he was God's what? And that is now, he is the firstborn among many. That is now being replicated and duplicated in the church and in God. This is why we use this language. And Paul's saying, you're experiencing, you know, discipleship from my son, because I became a father in that, which also has great responsibility, right? Continue here. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Once again, you're not the exception to the rule, Corinth. Now, and, and this is like, when, this, when I came across this, I was like, hmm, what's going on here? Now, some are what? Arrogant. As though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk, not the eloquent speech, remember he's been attacking that since getting started in this letter. When I come, I'm going to find out what's fluff and what's fact. I'm going to find out what actually matters. He says here, if the Lord wills and I find out, Not the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Look at verse 21. What do you want? 
I love this, this is funny. He says, should I come to you with a rod or with love and the spirit of gentleness? He's like, look, am I gonna have to bend you over my knee? That's what he's saying. He softens the blow a little bit. And then he, let's just read, just give you a little idea. Chapter five, verse number one, look at it while you're there. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. In other words, the most loosey-goosey folks among you in Vegas, the people who are running maybe the strip clubs among the Gentiles, the people who are running the, the temples with a ton of prostitutes, let me help you with something. They don't, even, they don't even do what you're doing. That's what he's saying. It isn't even tolerated among them. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Things that make you go, <laughs> I mean, that's rough. A man is sleeping with his father. <laughs> Excuse me? That's what's happening. And you are what? Arrogant. Shouldn't you be filled with what? Grief and remove your congregation, the one who did this? So wait a minute. That just gave us a clue at who the arrogant ones are. Who are the arrogant ones? If he says how he prefaces it before he ever gets into the nitty, the nitty greedy, natural libre, before he ever gets into the nitty gritty of what the sin is, he says the problem I have is that there's arrogance among you and the ones who are arrogant are the ones who could do something about this, which means he's talking to the who? The leaders. The problem he has before he ever gets into the sexual immorality is a pride problem with the leaders. The title of today's message is the pride, the problem. Yeah, we're gonna dig into Corinth and we're gonna see all this crazy, nasty stuff that these guys are into and we all wanna hear like the crazy stuff, right? That's why we watch uh, crazy horror movies. I don't personally, but I know some of you really love them, not judging, uh, you know who you are, right? That's why we watch these like uh, Netflix series and these documentaries, right? We, we want the crazy stuff, right? It's, you know, you ever listen to the true crime podcast, anybody? Or am I the only twisted one here? <laughs> Serial killer. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, but like, we like the crazy stuff, right? We want to know. That's what makes a good story. And so when we talk about Corinth, yeah, man, Paul gets at them. They're all sleeping around and so-and-so's with so-and-so. That's really not, when he dives into the immoral issues, really what he's going at is a pride issue. Man, that's so lackluster. <laughs> How about we talk about the crazy stuff, Paul? Paul's like, the problem is the arrogance that's happening in this church community. All right, so here, Paul explains the angle. I went ahead and I'm gonna backtrack for sake, of, uh, for sake of review here. Paul explains the angle he's coming at, coming at this situation from the angle of a father to a child. If you're struggling this morning on how to accept what's going to be said, or how to continue in your spiritual growth, chances are you haven't figured out this relational piece yet of being a child and also being a father a child or a mother, right? So the low-hanging fruit here, not even a part of the message, but I just wrote this down, and you can follow along in the program. Do you have a father in the faith? 
One of, one of the biggest, if not the biggest problems and issue in our society is fatherlessness. We can see it. it, it it's, it's evident. It's all around. It's in our schools. It's in our communities. Fatherlessness is a problem. It is a pandemic. It's an issue. And guess what? The same thing in the church house, spiritual fatherlessness. We got a bunch of orphans, people that have been maybe uh, produced in the faith, and then there's no one there to cultivate, no one there to lead, no one there to dive into certain things and issues with them. Look, we all need a father. And Paul is saying, listen, even if you don't, speaking of Timothy, Paul was his father figure. His father was out of the equation. We know that. So even in situations where our earthly father is not there, we have a spiritual father. But the low-hanging fruit here is this. Do you have a father? And if you don't, who, who will that be? Or who are you being a father to? This is the mentality as a church that we have to see and that we have to formulate. Are you being discipled? And are you discipling someone else? With and through the lens of your own child. That's how we should approach this thing. Look, it's, if it's your child, you have more patience. If it's your child, you have more love. If, if it's your child, you have more grace. If it's your child, you'll give to them when they do not what? Deserve it. This is the mentality that Paul is saying should be there. That's the mentality that the leadership should have had towards the church. And our church is not an exception to that. Paul identifies pride, the problem, and sees it among the leadership. It's kind of like if you read over it, little, little, you can miss that, that he's really going right at the leaders. And then he says, look, are we going to do this the easy way or the hard way? And that's a question we should all ask ourselves. Look, you know, some of you, it's like, you have to learn a lesson the hard way. You know who you are. Well, you know, that's just how I am. I think part of it is our area. You know, we can just be a very hard-headed people. It is what it is. And I think Paul wouldn't have even asked that if he was coming to Baltimore. He would just say, and I'm coming and bringing the spanking stick. Because <laughs> I know all of you are going to need it. Listen to this quote from one of the commentaries. Here, I, I think this is so good. And you'll see it after I read this. So, Garland observes how chapter 5, verse number 1, through chapter 6, verse 20, it is bound together by an eschatological focus, a concern for how ethical lapses impact those outside the church. Ultimately, what Paul is getting to here is when we have issues of immorality in the church, it's going to have a negative impact on those that are outside of the church. Is our purpose to reach people or not? Yes or no? Yeah. Our purpose, is, is, our purpose isn't to reach anybody. It's just to, you know, us four and no more, right? No. Our purpose is that our church doesn't have walls. We are the church. We go out, and the Lord uses us. But Paul is going to point out that when we have moral lapses in judgment and in our character, it affects the outsiders. And he does this by bringing it together with an eschatological focus. What does that mean? It means the end times. Like when we talk about the rapture or the Lord is coming back, right? Uh, that lingo is end times lingo. 
what some would call the eschatological or the, the future things, the things to come. Guess what? Paul fuels this passage with those things. Look at chapter 5, verse number 5. Look at it. I'm going to point it out. He telegraphs it. 5.5 five says, hand that one over to Satan, who was the one who was sleeping with his mother. Hand that one, or mother-in-law, whatever. Hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. In the day of the Lord is the same terminology that we've seen Peter use, that we've seen Paul use. It is talking about what? The Lord coming back. We, we have to see that the emphasis, as we, as we dig in and talk about how we live and how we execute judgment as a church within and without, Paul's perspective is for the coming of the Lord. That's what, that's what I think is amazing. All sprinkled through, 5, 5, and 6, chapter 6, verse number 2. Look at it. Or don't you know that the saints, same hagios, same word that we've talked about right out of the gate, don't you know that the saints will judge the what? The world. And the world is judged by you. Are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? Of course, that's going to be in context of them suing each other. And what does Paul say? Paul says, you're literally worried about a case this side of heaven. Don't you know that when the Lord comes back, we're going to judge everyone's activity? What does that mean? We're going to rule and reign with Jesus. And in the future, things to come, if the church is gonna judge, if the church is gonna be a part of the leadership process in the kingdom of God, then if we can't lead ourselves through our trivial problems now, what is our problem? What is our issue? You see, if we don't have an eschatological or a future thing in mind, nobody will. The world is steeped in what they can do today, and the Lord says, take no thought for today. Don't worry about it. I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to feed you. Tomorrow's going to take care of itself. I've got you. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying the perspective of immoral behavior in church, the perspective of having fist fights with one another in church should be predicated on the idea that Jesus is coming back. And that these things don't what? Matter in that grand scheme of things. They matter, but they don't matter. Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul puts this chapter and, and all the way to chapter 6 in a view of future things to come. So in our father-son, in our mother-daughter relationships, as we are discipling, what we should be doing is saying, hey, let's measure what you're doing today by how that's going to look when Jesus comes back. Let's measure what we're doing, elders, as a church, by what's going to happen to what we're doing when Jesus comes back. That's what Paul is doing. He's measuring their behavior according to the day of the Lord, not today. And that's important. Why? Because some of you are engaged in activity that if the Lord came back today, you would be ashamed. And Paul is saying, that's what matters. Don't you understand that if, if you don't see the big picture, nobody will, right? So when digging into these, ew, these icky behavioral issues, Paul is like, look, it matters because Jesus is coming again. Okay, I hope that helps. There's more in the program. Dig into that. So there are, once again, two things at work here. Number one, 
I submit to you, is the arrogance of the leadership. These guys, these pastors, whoever they were, the elders that were left in charge, once again, were more concerned with their eloquent speech. Why do I know that? Because that's a theme. He constantly is going, when I get there, when I come back, and when I'm sitting in in the audience, when I'm hearing what's going on, I'm going to let you know if there's power there or not. So, So what is the picture? The church leaders are more concerned about this than they are this. And they're arrogant. Number one, the problem is arrogance in the leadership. Number two, this is a problem. It is the sexual immorality of one of their members. And then number three, I didn't add this here, but it is them suing each other, the lawsuits. So it is because, watch this, of both of these things that Paul is responding. It is not just the sexual immorality that is causing Paul to write a letter. It is the arrogance of the leadership and the immoral behavior. So for us to see it uh, for just one or the other would be a miss. We have to see it as both. Paul says that instead of arrogance, they should have been filled with grief. Look at verse uh, 2 in chapter 5. We're bouncing around here for, for a reason. But look, look right there in your Bibles. Chapter 5, verse number 2. And you are arrogant. Shouldn't you be filled with grief? And remove from your congregation the one who did this? Here's the thing. It seems like an appropriate response since Paul then says the man should be removed from the church body. It always hurts when someone leaves because of sin. Look, we see that if you are a part of the church body, that what you do affects the whole. But if, you, if, if we can now see the picture here, Paul is saying, look, if you're a church leader, you should approach issues in the church with grief. Why? Because of what you have to do. You have to remove them from that position of being a member of the body. Why? We're gonna see it in a minute. Why? Because they have a soul too. The Lord has work to be done. Look, the constructs that are built called the church, the principles that the Lord gives us to live by within the church are for the body, are for the church. And so when we we say, well, we'll make an exception, we'll let that what? We'll let that go. What we're doing is we're saying our way is better than God's way. How we see it is better than the way the Lord sees it, and that is arrogant. That's condescending towards the Lord. That's usurping authority over the way the Lord wanted it to be. So Paul uses the imagery. I love this. I love his illustration here. He uses the imagery of leaven and bread. Look at verse number six. Chapter 5, verse number 6. Your boasting is not what? It's not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Here's what I like about this. Don't miss this. Your man on the front row that's sleeping around with his mother-in-law and having this open, immoral relationship is a little bit of leaven that's not good. Mm -mm, That's not what he said. He said, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Paul was just as, if not more, concerned with the pride and the leadership as was the sexual immorality as the person that was there. You see it? 
A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Leaven leavens it the whole bit, a little bit. Anybody like baking bread? Come on now. Baby mama is legit when it comes to baking bread. She's got one in the oven right now. Got them, but don't boom. <laughs> She's good at it. We were, we were exploring sourdough. And if you know anything about sourdough bread, you have to have a starter. You know, a, a little piece of dough that's fermented that you kind of make. It was living in our fridge for a while. It's still there. All right. Let's have some sourdough bread. What do you think? But you have a starter, and then you pair that with the other dough. Leaven is the same, the same way. It just takes, typically, in this baking process, it's a piece of dough that already has the leaven in it. And then you introduce that into the current dough, and then what happens? It leavens the what? The whole loaf. Paul's using this for, for a reason. Look, look at the text there. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch as indeed you are this is the already but not yet tension that the text has it's you're made new in christ but you're making a decision to pull old leaven into a new batch god's given you uh, an opportunity to have new creation life but you can screw it up you see it you can pull i'll take a little sin I'll take a little of my past and inject it into my new creation life. That's not good. You've been given a state of being delivered. Why go over here to the ruin? So he's saying, therefore, and and watch this. We have to understand how would the church receive this? Verse number eight, therefore, let us observe the feast. He's talking about Passover, right? Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with old leaven, or with the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He pulls on a perfect illustration. Watch this. Passover was celebrated with unleavened bread. Do you remember? Celebrated with unleavened bread. Leaven is a picture in the Old Testament of sin. It is often a piece of leftover dough that has been fermented and was used to leaven the new loaf of bread. Watch this. The Lord's Supper was the new Passover dinner instituted by Jesus. And that was to picture his body with unleavened bread to show that Jesus was perfect and a sinless sacrifice. We observe also that bread showing that we are, uh, with that bread, unleavened, showing that we are new creatures and that we are not carrying the old life into the newly consecrated life with the gospel. We are new creatures. If you... Put this in perspective. Adam, Romans 5, 12, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death what? Passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Adam's leaven, as we're born of a father, of a sinner, guess what leaven comes with? We're born a sinner. We're born into this world imperfect, but Jesus is called the second Adam. The second Adam from above understanding that he was uh, by a virgin born without human sin, without leaven, parting into his being, the Holy Ghost of God using Mary. Why? To craft our Savior in a miraculous way with no leaven, with no sin nature. 
Born perfect, the second Adam now is the firstborn among many, the first fruits of our salvation, the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ is the unleavened bread. His body, which is what? Broken for you, this due in remembrance of me. We now see and observe the Lord's Supper with a piece of unleavened bread. That's why he had to be born of a virgin. That's why it's important to believe that and to, to own that. And Paul is saying what you're doing in this church context is you're taking the old, you're taking the leaven from the old loaf and you're bringing it into the church house. And we're gonna see in a few chapters that they actually were not observing the Lord's Supper correctly either. Why? Because they didn't understand. The context of unleavened bread is to say that what we are and who we are in Jesus is the only thing that matters, not our former selves. So when we, when we act and live in such a way that is our former self that we have been saved from, delivered from, we're putting our spin, our sin, on what the Lord is doing in the gospel. Why is that a problem? Here's why. That's a pride issue. Sexual immorality is a pride issue. The arrogance that the leaders had was a pride issue. Why? What you're saying is I'm going to do what I'm going to do because I want to do it. Regardless of what, regardless of your sacrifice, Lord Jesus, regardless of everything that you paid for on the cross, he gave you a new life by being buried and dead in his life so that we could be birthed as a new creature. And when you say, I'd rather sin, I'd rather live a lifestyle that is opposite of the gospel, what you're saying to Jesus is, I'll take the old leaven. I'll take my old way. And Jesus is going, I delivered you from that. You're being killed. Why would you live in your sin? Why would you allow your sin to affect what I have built for you? You see what I mean? That's why it's a pride issue. Anytime, and we all deal with it, anytime we sin, anytime we decide and make, it's a cognitive decision. That's why I believe in free will. When you say, no, I'm gonna look at that. I'm going to smoke that. I'm going to do that. And you know the Holy Spirit has told you no. That's pride. You're saying, I prefer my pleasure over my purpose. If you prefer your pleasure over your purpose, old leaven. That's a problem. Tweet that one. Pleasure over purpose. Ooh, ooh. Now, let's get into the nitty-gritty. 12.05, we're doing okay, man. We, can, we have enough time for a coffee break. How about that? <laughs> hey, this is some nitty-gritty stuff. What, I'm, what we're about to talk about in this is really something that I feel like churches don't handle well, and we need this. We need what I'm about to tell you. How Paul handles this is so vitally important. The church, honestly, we're so worried about our country's direction and all of the wickedness that's happening in our country. And we've got stuff that we need to be taking care of in the house of God, and we're letting it go. We got it backwards, I'm telling you. We really do. Let's read these with me. If you have your program right there, read it, or just follow along as I read the scriptures. How you handle, this is very important, open, unrepentant, sexual sin matters. 
how you handle open, unrepentant sexual sin matters. Why? It's the old stuff mixing with the what? The new stuff. And this is why some of you probably shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. I mean, Paul is going to, and we'll talk about this more when we get there, but he says, look, many of you are eating and drinking damnation unto yourself. If you know you're not living right and you're working on it, don't take the Lord's Supper. Hold on. Look, that's a sacred thing. How many want to eat and drink poison to themselves? That's what you're doing when you say, ah, I'm doing it what? My way. It's not okay. None of us are perfect. We're all in the process. And that's why I clarify, open, unrepentant sexual sin. And this isn't the only thing, right? We're talking about arrogance. We're talking about people suing each other, disagreements in the body. But specifically dealing with this one, look at verse number five. Chapter five, verse number five. He says, hand that one over. Who? This is, he's talking about the one who was sleeping with his father's wife. That's some interesting things. <laughs> hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So that his spirit, watch this, may be saved in the day of the Lord. Let me help you with this. You co-signing bad sexual behaviors is bad for them. It's bad for them. When, when we do things correctly, when parents take a stand and we tell our children this is how it's going to be, it, it, it's going to cause separation. It's going to cause rifts, but Paul says, send them out. Why? Because if you allow them to stay and do what they're doing, guess what? They're damning their own souls. You, you have to send them out so that while they're out there, why? Because we're going to see it. The Lord can then deal with them. They can be exposed. They can then be subjected to the things that we know are going to happen. Look, if you've lived on this, if you've been through 12 years of marriage, it's not a long time, but it's long enough to realize and see that you can't live two lives. Marriages that are two lives right out of the gate, they don't last. They don't. There's something about the scriptures and the truth of God's word. Look, the Bible says, look, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If you as a parent, this should be really good for parents and grandparents. If you as a parent are co-signing and allowing something to happen, if we as elders know about open, unrepentant sin and we let it go, what's happening? We're damning them. We've got to get them into a place because we love them that the Lord can deal with them. But if you don't, then the Lord says, you're being arrogant because you're doing it your way instead of my way. That's tough, man. Look at verse number eight. Therefore, let us observe, not with old leaven, but with the new. Look at verse 10. I did not mean the, this is so good. Look at verse number 10. Everybody needs to see this. Verse number 10, I did not mean the immoral people of the world or the greedy and the swindlers and the idolaters. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. Paul's so good on this. Paul is saying, I'm not saying you have to throw out people that are in the world. I'm not saying you have to break ties with people in the world. Therefore, you'd have to get on an Elon Musk rocket and go to another planet. We're in the world. We are surrounded by people who do not know Jesus. And that's good. 
Paul is saying, what I'm telling you is not how you should treat people that are outside the church. I don't mean the immoral people of the world. Look at verse 11. But actually, I wrote you not to associate with anyone who claims, don't miss this, who claims to be a brother and sister and is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, verbally abusive, a drunkard, a swindler. Do not eat with such a person. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside. God judges who? Outsiders. Remove the evil person from among you. What does this mean? It's so clear. God said the church is supposed to operate and judge internally, not externally. That means any campaign that a church has to come down and picket and tell people how horrible they are, it's pretty much dumb. That's, that's really stupid. At some point, we realize that lost people are what? Hey, let me tell you how dumb you are. You're really lost, aren't you? Guy's just wandering in the wilderness, and we're just like running alongside of him. Hey, hey, dummy. Hey, lost person. You're really stupid. I've got the navigation right here, but I'm not going to let you see it. You're so dumb and you're lost. <laughs> Look how lost you are. Let's leave them. They're so lost. They're so dumb. How dumb is it for you to judge someone who's lost? Lost people act lost. Novel idea. But people who claim to be a brother and sister in Christ are claiming to not be lost. And when they act lost, Paul says, don't let that crap go. Don't let that stuff go. They're claiming to be something that they're what? Not. And if the day of the Lord is coming, then there should be some urgency. Parents, there should be some urgency to, to telling your children that they need to get right. Parents that are living wrong, there should be some urgency to live right. And this isn't just sexual immorality. Paul lists what? A ton of stuff. Here's the point. I've, I've been in church a long time, and it's like, we don't judge here. You ever heard that? We don't judge here. We don't judge. Did you hear what sister so-and-so did last week? It's not good. I'll text you later. <laughs> we don't judge, but we sure know what's going on. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like typical church stuff. I just don't want it to be typical here. Paul says, look, there's one clear indicator that you're handling church problems the right way. Are you sad about it? Grief. We've had a few things here that the elders we've talked about and we've tried to handle in the right way. Ultimately, all of us have been tore up about it. And we're like, this is just horrible. Like, we don't like stuff like this. As a parent, you sh your heart should go out to a child who is just, they're not there yet. It's just that they don't see it. The problem is people claiming to know. Listen, it should give you hope because the Lord is judging the outsiders. What does that mean? You were once an outsider. You were once lost. They're in better hands out there because the Lord can bring them into here. The Holy Spirit's really good about it. But when you get in here, Paul's very clear that the leadership 
should hold people accountable. You should. You should be held accountable. Well, what, you know, Pastor Matt, what about, what about, what about? That's not the intent. The intent is with grief. What, per, what, what is produced out of that proper, humble mentality? Prayer. Are we, pray, are we actively praying for those that are living in sin? Because we're, we're all in a different place, right? We all come from different backgrounds. How many feel like you need some helpful tidbits on how to deal with people inside and outside as it pertains to lifestyle? Anybody? I wrote a few things down. Look, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says this. This is, this is really good, but don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. And he lists a bunch of bad things. Look at verse 11. And some of you used to be like this. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit of our God. Look, we're not the exception to the rule. We're evidence of his rule. The Lord is at work. But I feel like we could do a better job at handling this better. Here's the first thing I see. Number one, the discipline is for the church member, not the outsider. Remember, this fellow was open, unrepentant, and this was something that everybody what? Everybody was aware. And they were more concerned about how fancy they could preach and teach and really the rhetoric of the day than about the personal, watch this, the personal discipleship. For our church here, are conversations happening? Is discipleship happening? Are we connecting? Are we talking through? You know, there's a lot of, a lot of conversations that happen that you don't know about. There's a lot of times that, that an elder may say to someone else, like, hey, you should probably not do that. You should probably not be sleeping together. You should probably not be getting wasted. Like, that's probably not a good thing. Hey, you should pr probably not discipline your children that way. It's amazing the doors that the Lord opens for conversations of discipleship to happen, right? But the point is this, understanding that discipline is for the church member and not the outsider. So for us... We are constantly in a state of, of allowing the Lord to refine us, but we're not pushing that on someone else from the outside. They do not have the Holy Spirit of God. They do not have life transformation happening from the inside out. Now let me also say this. If you do have the Holy Spirit of God, change. If, if, <laughs> if you do have this incredible gift of salvation, don't waste it. What are you waiting for? Well, I'm waiting for this and this and this and then all that's gonna, and I'm the same way, right? All, how many are all or nothing kind of people? You know what I mean? Like all or nothing. If I'm not in church three times a week and volunteering and praying every day, then I don't have nothing to do with God. That's not the way that it is. We're all on a journey. We're, we're all on separate paths, right? Headed in the same direction with the same goal. We can't be all or nothing. If the Holy Spirit reveals something to you, if he tells you, like, this is it, like, you should not be doing this. Watch, 
just do it. Just change. Just change. You, you don't know. You don't know who's watching. You don't know. Look, if you do what you're supposed to do, there may be an outsider that the Lord is using you to influence. You follow me? No, that can't be it. My, my sanctification is just for me, and I'm only hurting myself. Only. I'm only hurting me, indulging in this sin. Is that what Paul said? No. Not only are you hurting that dude, letting him stay there doing what he's doing, but you're hurting everybody else in the body. Anybody ever had a toothache? Isn't it just hard to function? Everybody you meet, guess what? I got a toothache. <laughs> you have to preface, right? You ever meet a Christian that way? You meet a new believer, you're getting close, you're maybe forming a friendship, and then in like the first 10 seconds, you hear all the things that they're struggling with. You know what I mean? Well, I'm, I'm getting that ride. Uh, do you drink too? Yeah, me too. Uh, so uh, it's like all your toothaches, come out. It's like, I, I'm struggling, I'm real, just so you know. That's why we go to this church and not that church. That church is more legalistic, not this one. That's not the point. The point is for you to not be comfortable. The point is not for you also to remain with a toothache and never go to the dentist. That's, woohoo. Get it right. But, but I'm scared if I get it right and I try that, that's going to affect this, that, and the other. Let the Lord handle that. I guarantee you, the process of getting the tooth pulled probably will have a little bit of pain associated, but you're going to feel so much better on the other end. Man, unconfessed, unrepentant sin festers. It festers, and if you're in the body of Christ, get it right, confess it, move past it. It is for you to be judged on it. It is for a conversation to be had. So let's not set in this place where we just think that what we do doesn't matter. I'm sorry, that was before. Before you knew Jesus, to whom much is what? Given. Much is required. You've been given the greatest gift in all the world. There's no more excuses. But it just doesn't fit in my plan. Oh. Said every person in this generation. It's got to be this way. I just, I want it. Oh, no. Like a seventh grader. Discipleship is like the seventh grade temper tantrums. I want to play my video games? No. Like, my son's like four, and he's learning next level whining. Do you know what I mean? The whining that these kids learn? I, where does it come from? From nowhere. How did you become a seventh grader overnight? Oh. I'm like, how do you make your face look like that? <laughs> Might as well floss while you're down there. Doesn't <laughs> That's what we are like, but I just, it feels so good, God. I like to sin. We're literally knuckleheads. I mean, I'm not trying. Is that what you see? This is what I'm seeing. Remove him so that he feels it so that he understands what he's missing because he's got the Holy Spirit on the inside. Stop co-signing. And if you're here, and if you've got something you need to get right, look, put your big girl, big boy britches on and just get it right. 
our society, and, and Sarah and I, we talk about this, and here's one of the reasons why Sarah and I let certain things go, because we're not really letting it go. We know that things are going to play out. But, like, society does not have to determine how you do things. But it just has to look a certain way. I have to have this in order, and this in order, and this in order, and then. No. Let the Lord take your brokenness and make something beautiful of it. It doesn't have to be X, Y, and Z. In fact, quite the contrary. Number one, the discipline is for the church member, not the outsider. Don't get it backwards. Number two, you should live in such a way that allows people the chance for change. If you really care about people, then you'll live in such a way that'll allow people the chance to change by watching you. You'll allow people the chance to change by discipling them. Some of you have some incredible things. You have an incredible story. You have an incredible perspective. Some of you have a lot of lost friends. Those two things, if done and handled appropriately, you're going to allow people the chance to change. Would a lost person put in your way find Jesus? Would they find Jesus? That's a question you should ask yourself. What are, look, I'm trying to come up with a, a, an illustration here that makes sense, but like, there are certain like safety precautions that we take in mind when it comes to like driving, right? Like, and nowadays it's like crazy. I mean, when I was a kid, you got a permit when you were 15 and you held it for six months, you took a test and you got your license. That was it. I don't know what's going on nowadays. I talked to somebody, it was uh, one, I think it was Katie, and she's like, well, yeah, I spent 375 on driving school, and it was like, you know, I had to go there every night, and it was like a week, and then I get like a, I don't even know what it was, I don't think it was a license, like, it's just like a lot. Like, they gotta, kids have to go through so much to drive nowadays. But for me, it was like, and I guess part of it is from Tennessee, you know, I was like this bumpkin, nobody cares over there. Everybody's been driving trucks on a farm for years already, everybody knows how to drive. People don't really know how to drive around here. Just kidding, but seriously. <laughs> but when we drive, watch, we shut the door. We put our what? Sometimes. We drive the speed limit. We obey the traffic lights. See, this is the problem. This is the problem. Lord, you see it. They don't obey the traffic lights either. You see where I'm going with this? There's, there's certain things like blinkers. I know none of you women know what they are. <laughs> Just kidding, but seriously. Amen. Signal. What's a signal? It means I'm signaling something and I'm going in a certain direction. No. Rah! <laughs> it's like a signal, a speed limit. Doors, locks, things that make the trip go easier. It's like, this is the typical Christian. I'm saved, this is amazing, I'm being delivered. And you're driving down the beltway, all your doors are open, you're literally not wearing a seatbelt, your kids are hanging out, you're going 100 miles an hour, but I'm saved. This is amazing. You're about to what? And or, and or, and or. We would never think about that. That's what careless behavior does after salvation. 
You get in the car, you buckle up, read your Bible, you pray. You don't follow rules for the sake of following rules. You follow rules to show a change. To deliver the power of what changed you to someone else that goes, that makes sense, that is safe, that is good, that is incredible, that's going somewhere, that's going to reach the destination. Number two, you should live in such a way that allows people the chance to change if they got in your car, would they make it to the destination? It's really simple. But if they looked at your marriage, would they get there? If they looked at your children, would they get there? No, not right now, God. Give me another 10 years, please. (laughs) Number three, and last. Acceptance is good, but approval is bad when it comes to a newcomer. This is something that's key for our church right now because we have a lot of people visiting. Acceptance is good. Approval is bad. We should, Holy Spirit, it left me. Come back. It's like, phew. Come on back. I roll. <laughs> I know it was a dad joke. It's okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. I can accept anybody. I've never been the type of person that meets somebody and make them feel uncomfortable. I want everybody to know that I accept them for who they are. Come as you what? Are. That's wonderful. I'm not here to judge an outsider. I'm here to help the insiders a little bit, but I'm not here to judge an outsider. So what happens when an outsider comes what? Inside. There has to be proper handling. How does that look? Acceptance versus approval. I'm going to love them. I'm going to hog on them. I'm going to just be so happy that they're here. I'm going to help them if they have need. But when it comes up, something that they're doing that's contrary to the way the Bible teaches, guess what? I don't approve it. Some of y'all in your discipleship, why am I not effective? Why don't I have people that I'm able to lead to Jesus and see fruit that remains? Because you're probably approving things that are killing them. Some of you approve things that your children are doing that you should accept them but not approve. We don't know in 2021 how to disapprove of things. We don't. Politically, Hey, I don't agree with that. We don't know how to disagree anymore. From a practical standpoint, can you imagine getting a letter from Paul today in the mail? As soon as they get to the part where he's like, should I come with a sweet spirit or with a spanking stick? You just throw it away. We don't know how to disagree. Look, we've got to get better at this as a church. We've got to get better at this as fathers and sons as mothers and daughters. And I mean that like of the king and of our own offspring. Look, disagree, disapprove, and do it in love. Hey, that's not okay. Hey, let's go out to eat. Let me explain something to you. That's not gonna end well. At this point in time, you know how many people that Sarah and I even went to school with that their marriages have ended in divorce? You know how many people that got married around the same time 12 years ago as us that they're not going to celebrate an anniversary this year? You know how many people that I've counseled in the five years almost that this church has been in existence to say, hey, if you don't stop doing that, you will no longer be in this church in six months to a year. 
not from a get out, but just what they did, guess what? It removes them from it because we're preaching the truth and we're discipling here. So what happens naturally? They leave. It's because it's the right atmosphere. Things are in order. Look, we have got to get, get this. The, it's the devil's a liar. Just love everyone. Yes, of course. But just because you accept someone doesn't mean you have to approve of their lifestyle and what they're doing. We've got to get that. I have friends that are gay. Friends, people that I would go out to eat with tomorrow. Why? Because I accept them. Do I approve of their behavior? Guess what? No. That's really hard for people to say that in 2021. I don't really understand that. Because it's not my truth. It's his. It's not my perspective. It's what? His. We've got to get better at this. I can accept everyone, anyone, but I don't have to co-sign and approve of a lifestyle. And I'll be the same way with my kids. I accept them. Guess what? They know. They know their father loves them. But if I don't discipline them, guess what? I don't love them. Some of y'all need to get this thing. Acceptance versus approval. And what I see here with the Apostle Paul is he's like, uh-uh. It's not okay. Send him out so that his soul may be saved. Discipline is for the church, not the outsider. You should live in such a way that allows people to change. Acceptance is good. Approval is bad when it comes to a newcomer. The bottom line, look, here's the bottom line. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. James chapter 4, verse 17. If you know what's good to do today and you're here, if you're watching online, if you know something that you need to do that's good, hey, guess what? Do it. Do it. Change. Here's, here's just some helpful things. Confess your faults one toward another and pray for one another that ye may be what? Healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I don't have time to get into the suing stuff today. We'll touch on it next week. Here's the thing. Today, if you got something in your life that shouldn't be there, I'm praying for you. Here's my ask. Will you pray for me? Will you help me? Because we've all, guess what? We all got stuff. We all have things. Can we love each other here? Can we grieve with each other when we struggle? Can we pray for one another today? Why? Because this, what we're doing here, church, it's not easy. This isn't an easy church where you just fly under the radar. There's a mega church up the road for that. You'll be able to live and do whatever you want for the next 10 years if you want. But here, guess what? You're meeting people. You're growing together. We're doing life with one another. And when we have a problem, guess what? We're going to be there for each other. Not in arrogance, but in grief. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments. Send us